Gospel of Mark verse by verse. And we're really getting a better idea of who Jesus is and what he did. And our hope in all of this is that he would come to mean more to us and that we would serve him in a greater way. We left off our last study in verse 28, so we'll begin naturally today in Mark chapter 1 and verse 29. By Friday afternoon, I can always feel it coming on. Every Friday, I can feel it coming on. It's a growing sense of intensity that, that settles on me, and in time, it just it consumes me. Now, intellectually, I know it's only Friday, but spiritually, I know that Sunday is coming. And by Friday, I begin to get prepared. I begin to feel this sense of intensity. By Saturday morning, I'm getting in the zone. By Sunday evening, I'm in the zone. In fact, my wife sometimes says at that point that I've zoned out. Okay, that's her way of putting it. And uh, come Sunday morning, I'm excited to get up. I'm excited to get to church. I'm excited to fellowship with you all. I'm, I'm looking forward to singing praises to the Lord, to hearing songs of praise. But most of all, for me personally, I'm looking forward to opening up the Word of God as we are now and spending time teaching and preaching and sharing with you what it is that God has laid on my heart through study. You see, pastors live their lives from Sunday to Sunday. Sunday's always coming. And as far as I'm concerned, Sunday is the greatest day of the week. It was on Sunday that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And for that reason, it should always bring joy to our hearts. I, I expect something great to happen every week when we gather together to worship the Lord. Sunday is a great day. But I also know that after the final morning service, I'm looking for something to eat and a place to sit down. You see, when you live your whole life basically for a very small period of time on just one day of the week, you invest emotion and you invest energy and you invest all that you have, it seems, into that moment. When that moment is done, you are too. And you want to sit down and you want to spend some time resting. For me, a perfect Sunday afternoon consists of a good meal, a little rest. I tend to look at my calendar, just a little light review for the upcoming week, and then I'll spend some time reviewing, preparing again for the Sunday evening service. But I don't like to counsel on Sundays. I have found that I normally give bad advice on Sunday afternoon counseling sessions. You know, I'll frequently say things like, have you considered suicide? You know, maybe that's an option, or leave the bum. No, I, not, that's all bad advice I just gave you. But, but Sunday afternoon is not a good time for me to try to give advice or counsel. I don't like to counsel council on Sunday afternoons. I, I don't like to study in depth on Sunday afternoons. I'm, I'm pretty occupied with what it is I need to share on that day. And in fact, I really don't like to do anything on Sunday afternoons. As we think about this day in the life of Jesus Christ that we've been studying, I can only imagine how he was feeling physically and in every other way. Thus far in our study, we've discovered that Jesus got up early on the day we call the Sabbath, Saturday. And he made his way to the synagogue in Capernaum to worship, was involved in that, invested in that, and, and then it was called upon him to teach. He gave a prophecy of the Old Testament sharing that the words of Isaiah were indeed referring to him. He, he shared that, and then we find that while in the synagogue, he had an occasion to encounter a man who was possessed of a devil. He, he cast the devil out of the man, and, and he had what we would call a full day. He had already been busy, and now it's time for the way we would say it, for church to end, and I have no doubt he was looking for something to eat and a place to sit down. He was looking for a little bit of rest, but on this day in the life of Christ, it was just not to be. And already he had had a very exciting day to this point, but believe me when I tell you, it was getting ready to get even more exciting and busier. And we find in the text before us some, some great truths that help us to see how wonderful Jesus Christ is, but we also find principles that will help us in life. 
And, and I'm looking forward for us having this time of study together. Now, I'm going to invite you, if you're able today, to join me in standing as we read the Word of God together. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Mark chapter 1, as I said a moment ago, verse 29 is where we'll get started. And as I read aloud, I hope you'll follow along in your heart. The Bible says, And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, all right, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, she lay sick of a fever, and anon, or at once, they tell him of her. She came, and excuse me, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Now, I'm going to read on, but in verse 32, at even, that means it was the evening time, of course, and we find the sun was setting, did set. That uh, at that time, the people, the end of the Sabbath time, we'll talk more about this, they came to Jesus and, and brought these needing help. And verse 33 says, And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. It's interesting. We'll find this more and more in our study of the Gospel of Mark. There were many times and occasions when... Uh, there were people that knew Jesus to be God the Son, and they would reveal that. In this instance, even the, the devils. And we saw that a moment ago as we, as we studied earlier in this text. The man in the synagogue that Jesus encountered, he was possessed of a devil, and he wanted to speak of Jesus being the Holy One. But Jesus, in keeping with the will of his Father, he was very careful about how, when, and where he shared that he indeed was the one promised from the Old Testament, the Messiah. And it was important that that news come from him in the way in which he wanted it to come. He had a three-year ministry ahead of him. And so we find here that, that uh, Jesus forbade these devils to, to speak for that reason. But I want you to go back to the beginning of verse 34. And we find a great statement here. It was true when it was written. It was true when it happened. It's true today. The Bible says this. He, speaking of Jesus, and he healed many. Let me tell you something about Jesus Christ. He's God the Son, and He heals. He heals. And I want us to look to this text today. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of that, maybe religious programming or something. Let's look into the Word of God and see what happens when Jesus begins to touch lives and change lives. Our Father, we thank You that when we read the Bible, we're reading Your words, inspired of You, preserved by You. Lord, we need Your help today. Uh, open our hearts in this time of study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. The service at the synagogue concluded and the people literally in response to Jesus Christ were, and this is a Bible word, the Bible says the people were amazed. They were just amazed at Jesus Christ. They were amazed at how skillful and articulate he was in, in sharing his words. They were amazed at how compassionate and how powerful Jesus was in his works. In response to that service in the synagogue, the Bible says this, that his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. It was quite a morning. As he left that meeting, he made his way to the home of Peter. And of course, Andrew and James and John were there as well. And, and as he walked into Peter's home, he discovered then that Peter's mother-in-law was, was very sick. In response to that, the Bible says that Jesus lifted her up. He healed her sickness and 
And in response to the healing touch of Jesus Christ, the Bible then says that Peter's mother-in-law immediately began serving all that were there, I'm sure especially serving Jesus Christ, the one who had touched her and healed her. As the sun began to set over the Galilean hillsides, the time for the Sabbath was about to end. The Jewish occasion of worship was a day called the Sabbath that would actually begin at 6 p.m. on Friday night, running through 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And as the sun on Saturday night was beginning to set, and as word of what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done was beginning to spread around about the community and even the region, when that occasion of 6 o'clock in the evening arrived, people began to come out of their homes and they now had the opportunity to walk about and and they wanted to come and hear more from this one and see more from this one of which they had heard. And they responded by bringing their sick and diseased and those possessed of evil spirits. And Jesus compassionately took the time to minister to them and their lives were never again the same because of the loving, gracious touch of God the Son. At face value, we find a great chronicling of events in the life of a day of Jesus Christ. We hear his words, we see his works, we sense his love for those he touched. But I believe there are some insights to be gleaned in taking a closer look at it all. There are some practical applications for us here today. Now we're going to dig deeper into the meaning of the healing aspect of the work of Jesus Christ as we continue in our study. But we find some immediately applicable and relevant truths before us here. And if you have your outlines that were provided in your bulletin today, I want us to begin by seeing that Jesus was welcomed. He was welcomed. The Bible in verse 29 tells us that that Jesus, upon leaving the synagogue, goes to Peter's home. In fact, the Bible says he entered into the house of Simon. And we find from that statement that, that Jesus was a guest in Simon Peter's home. He didn't break into the home. He wasn't an intruder. He, he was an invited guest that was welcomed by Peter. And that's how Jesus worked there. He was welcomed. Now, a few years ago, the field behind our home was being dug under by huge tractors. They were preparing to come in, and they were going to build more homes. And because they were uh, undercutting all the soil in the field adjacent to our home, the residents who were in that field had to move. And that was a problem because the only residents in that field were mice. And there was only one direction for them to go. That was towards our home. So they're, they're turning over the dirt, and we, we uh, began to have a problem. Now, one Tuesday night, I was on visitation following up on some folks who'd, who'd been guests at Coastline, and I got a call from, from my wife, and she explained to me that she was sitting on, on our bed, and both of our, our girls were seated beside her, and they were there terrified because they'd seen a mouse. And it's amazing to me that such a little, little mouse, you know, panicked across the home, and, and Lisa was talking to me, and to be honest with you, I didn't like her tone, okay? She was letting me have it. She was telling me, you know, here's what you're going to do. She's telling me, you know, you're going to go to the store and you're going to get the traps. And you're going to come home immediately. I don't care what else you're doing. It's not as important as what we're dealing with, you know, and you're going to come home right now. And I, you know, I don't really like always being talked to like that, but I sensed also in that tone, it was probably in all of our best interest that I just do as I was told. Okay. So I did. I dropped everything. I went to the store. I got the traps and uh, I came home and I, I comforted the girls. Hey, it's going to be okay. Dad's home. I can take on a mouse. No problem. And I put all the traps down and, and uh, no sooner did I get in bed than I heard our furry little friend trying to get off a sticky trap. And uh, so I thought, well, I, I better go deal with this. You know, girls, it's going to be okay. You can hear this guy's in there screaming. And so I'll go and there's this little guy. And, and uh, so I picked up the little sticky pad, you know, and you're holding it like this. And, and uh, I hastened his demise 
pies with some help from a shovel in the garage, amen? And uh, then I threw them in the, in the garbage, and I thought, okay, we're done. No, 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 that happened three more times before the evening was over, okay? I think I got all of them out. I haven't seen another one since then. But uh, that was an intruder. We don't like intruders. We put traps out for intruders. We want to get them out of our house. They scare us. We don't, want, we don't want people or mice or anything else in our homes if they're not welcome. And I just want to make this point, and maybe that ridiculous story will help to undergird the truth. Jesus is no intruder. He's not going to just break in and demand to have a place in your home. He will not take up residence in a heart, in a home, or in a church unless he's been invited and he is welcome to be there. In fact, we find in the book of the Revelation there was a group of people who were under the heading of church. I suppose by definition they had ceased to be, but they still had all the semblance of what we would call church. But in this word picture we find in the book of the Revelation, Jesus was not in their midst. They would have claimed to have been worshiping him. They would have claimed to have been singing for him and doing what they did for him. But in this word picture, Jesus says he was outside of the church knocking on the door trying to get in. Certainly, he would have had power to kick the door down. He could have done anything. He is God. But, but we find this in principle that Jesus is not an intruder. In Revelation 3 and verse 20, Jesus here says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in unto him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus was saying this, I want to be with you. I love you. I, I want to spend time with you. But I'm not going to intrude. I want to be welcomed welcomed. Did you know that just because Christians live in a home, that home is not necessarily a Christian home? We must welcome Jesus into our families, into our homes. When Peter left the synagogue that day, he didn't forget to take Jesus with him. And what a shame it would be to have the charade of a life of faith, to practice in our day coming to church and hearing about God, and singing to God, and leaving church, and leaving God at church. Just hoping he'll be there when we come back next Sunday. When Peter left the synagogue that day, he didn't leave Jesus there. He made sure that Jesus came with him. Oh, friends, what a shame it would be to come to church each time the doors are open and fail to take the Lord with us, so to speak, when we leave. How vain it would be to have, have this semblance of Christianity on Sunday only to live as practicing atheists Monday through Saturday. You'd be surprised what people leave at church. Every week we find things in here, you know. And we'll find glasses and we'll find keys and we'll find coats and we'll find Bibles, you know. Uh, all kinds of things. Now, I hope you don't leave anything today. But if you do, make sure it's not Jesus. Don't come here today to get a dose of religion, a dose of Christianity, a little bit of church, to hear a little about Jesus, to leave him here when you go. The best decision Peter made that day was this. You know what? I want Jesus to go home with me. I need Jesus in my home. I want to spend more time with Jesus. I want to talk a little more with Jesus. And furthermore, Peter had some needs in his life that he simply could not take care of on his own. He wanted to have God there in the midst of his home to minister to him and to his family. That may seem like a simple point to make, but I do think it's a valid point. And it's a point that is needed today. Jesus was welcome, but we also see here that Jesus was wanted. He was wanted. Verse 30, the Bible lets us know that Jesus arrived and he was told that Peter's mother-in-law was sick. 
Now, I don't know all the specifics of her illness, but Luke elaborates on this as only a doctor could. We think of the four gospel narratives of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a medical doctor, and, and so he writes some things of this occasion in the life of Christ in a little different way than we read in Mark. In Luke 4, verse 38, the Bible says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. Now, the word great in that verse in the languages of the New Testament is magos. That just sounds like a bad fever, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness, she has a magos fever, you know. Uh, it, it, it sounds like, and it means literally a mega fever. She had a big one. Now, he would have said magos fever. Now, Mark, he, he wouldn't have thought to use that type of terminology, but I've been told from what I read, doctors of the day referred to fevers in a couple different ways. You either had the mega fever or the little fever. And it was a way of differentiating between the types of fevers that they had. And so Dr. Luke, in his accounting, he says, no, it, it was a magos fever. It was a mega fever. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in, in Mark's gospel that she lay sick. And the idea in the formulation of those words is this. She had been down sick. She was down, and she had been down. She was down and out with this great fever. And so what do we have? We've got a woman with a great fever who's down and has been down. No immediate remedy in sight, but that is when Jesus Christ walked in. And it's not for, uh, hard for me to imagine that Jesus had this pointed out to him in the hopes that he would do something. The Bible tells us that they tell him. And the Bible says that they, in essence, wanted Jesus there, and they wanted him to help Peter's mother-in-law. You know, we all have needs in our lives, and friends, I want you to know something today. There's no better place we can go to have the needs met in our lives than to Jesus Christ. Now, if your car breaks down, go to a mechanic. If you're sick, go to a doctor. If you have a relationship problem, I'm all for it. Seek counsel. It's a good thing. But Jesus ought not be the second or the last person that we go to in, in any time of need in our life. He should be the first place to which we go. He's not the one to whom we resort when everything else has been exhausted and we can't think of anyone else to phone or email or text. We, we need to understand that Jesus is the one to whom we're to go. You see, he is the source of our sufficiency in life. As we consider this truth, I want Coastline Baptist Church to be reminded that we collectively are the body of Christ. And we ought to be the type of place where people can turn in their times of need, where they'll be met not with judgmentalism or condemnation, but met with hearts of love and grace and a willingness to serve. In Colossians 1 and verse 24, the Apostle Paul writing there concludes in that verse that Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, listen, which is the church? Paul was saying there this, that, 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 that the church is the body of Christ. I want to remind you that our desire should be to sincerely help those that God brings our way. And I feel that many times we lose sight of the value of really, truly caring for people. I read a story not too long ago of a soldier that was wounded in battle. It wasn't a horrific injury, but it was a wound nonetheless, and he was told to get it checked out. And the story said that he went to the area that had been set up for the hospital. Arriving at the entrance, he saw two Two doors, one said for minor injuries and the other one said for serious injuries and he figured his was minor so he went through the first door. He went down the hall, there were two more doors and the first one read for officers, the other for enlisted men and so he went through the second door 
there. He walked down another long corridor, two more doors. This one said for party members, the other said for non-party. He wasn't even sure what that meant, so he just decided to go out the non-party door, and he opened that door, and when he stepped out that door, he found he was on the street again, not knowing what else to do. He just went back to his fellow soldiers, and, and they said, how did things go for you at the doctor? And he said, you know, they didn't really help me at all, but boy, are they organized down there, you know? I'm afraid sometimes as a church, we, we have a way of just getting incredibly organized. We know how to have a service. We know how to organize the, the songs. And, 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 and we know how to put a sermon together. And we know what time it starts. And we know what time we think it should conclude. And, and, and we can get everything all put together just the way we think it should be. We become so organized that we forget that the body of Christ is not to be an organization. We're to be an organism. We are to be the entity through which God extends His love to those around us sometimes we get so into us and ours and the way we do it and it's it's just got to turn the stomach of God to see the group that is supposed to be his body in a given area of the local church failing to live as he would have us to we've been called by God to be a compassionate organism not an organization the local church is a called out assembly of born again and baptized believers who fellowship together, who share the Lord's Supper together, and who carry out the great commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we cease to do those things, we may continue what we're doing here, but we have ceased to be a church in any legitimate sense of the word. You see, these men wanted Christ because they knew he would help them. And when God the Spirit directs people our way, our attention and care is required. When we recognize a need, it should call for us to do what we can do, to let God work through us. And so the Lord is working here. We see He was welcomed and He was wanted. But we see a great thought in verse 31. We see that He was worthy. I love the way this all develops. We find that Jesus came, and the Bible says it this way, he came and took her by the hand. And as he did, the Bible says, he lifted her up. Her her fever was gone in that instant. Jesus comes in, she had a mega fever, she was down and out and had been, and she can't get up, so Jesus extending his hand to hers, he lifts her up, and in that moment, in that instant, she's completely healed. Her recovery was entire. Immediately energized to the point of serving others. And that's what she does. As soon as she comes up, the the very next words in our text share with us that she immediately, she instantly began serving others. And of course, that included Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I'm not a big fan of fevers. I seem to get one or two a year, you know. I don't enjoy them, but I get them. And I've noticed that a lot of times when my fever is, is gone, it takes a day or so to feel normal. Feel like you have your strength back. It doesn't just come back instantly. But that's not how it was with Peter's mother-in-law. She was was completely healed. Not just of the fever, but of any effects from the fever. She was revived. Now listen, today, are you a Christian? And if so, do you remember the day you accepted Jesus Christ? Because you, like Peter's mother-in-law, were down and out with an incurable disease called sin. It's worse than a mega fever. We were down. We were born with this disease. It's genetic. No way of helping ourselves. No way to cure ourselves. 
And if today you are a believer, you can go back in your mind's eye to that occasion and you know what happened. The love and grace of God was extended to you and in faith you responded. And when your hand, so to speak, was placed in the hand of, of Jesus Christ, when you accepted his free gift of the forgiveness of sins, you found also the assurance of a home in heaven. Things forever changed for you. You were lifted up. You could not get up, but by his grace, what happened was he lifted you up. I like the way David expresses this in Psalm 40. He says in verses 1 through 3 of that text, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. I love the way David expresses all this. Man, I was down in a pit. Not only was I in a pit, in the bottom of that pit there was clay, and it wasn't just any old clay, it was miry clay, the kind that sticks to you and just about sucks your boots off, and I couldn't get out. But God came to me, and he said he lifted me out of that pit. I couldn't have got out of there, he lifted me right out of that clay. He put my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. In other words, he gave me a sense of purpose in life. And and David says the result of all that was the Lord put a new song in him. And this new song came in the form, David says, of praise unto our God. Why a song of praise unto our God? Let me tell you why. Because he's worthy. He, He is worthy. That was the response of the lady that Jesus healed here. She found Jesus to be worthy of her service. We sometimes sing a song here at Coastline that contains these words. How can I keep from singing your praise? And that's one of those questions you're not really supposed to answer. The obvious answer is we shouldn't be able to contain the praise that we feel for God. Because if we have been healed by Christ from our sin through faith and that which Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary... We too have a new song, and it should be a song of praise unto our God. In fact, David says it this way. He said, many shall see it and shall trust in the Lord. Some of you know that the way I prepare sermons is called manuscript form. That that means I, I have a lot of pages. I write them out. It's not a good way to prepare sermons. In fact, it's probably the worst way. But I write them out word for word. I try not to read them to you. I've been told that would be very boring. I want to limit that as much as possible, but it helps me to put more thought into what I'm going to say. I I frequently say things I regret having said. Are any of you like that? I rarely write things I didn't intend to write because you sometimes think a little more about what you're going to write than than what you're going to say. And, And I wrote something that when I read it, I thought, you know, this could be considered abrasive. And I left it. And so I'm going to share something with you that was premeditated and it's abrasive. Okay? Very good. There is something wrong with a person who claims to be a Christian who has to be prodded into serving the one that saved him. 
It's just not natural. It, it, it makes sense to me that someone that, that knows their condition, they knew they were down and out with a mega problem. And if they really knew that it was God Almighty and love and grace that extended His love to them and saved them, it just makes sense to me that we would want to respond the very same way Peter's mother-in-law did. She jumped up immediately and began serving There's something wrong with someone who claims to be a Christian who has to be prodded all the time. Either that person is deluding themselves and they are not a true believer. And Jesus said there will be many in that day that say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Either they're they're, they're deceiving themselves and they're not truly believers, or they're so far removed from anything pertaining to authentic Christianity that they've forgotten what it's all about. But friends, I want you to know God's desire is that all of us would serve Him. All of us. You say, well, why? Because He's worthy. In Revelation 4.11, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let me tell you today, if you're here, you you are here because God has given you life. And if you're here today and you're a believer, the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of a home in heaven, you're here because God's given you new life. The spiritual term is you've been regenerated. You've been created and recreated if you're a believer. And the Bible says that all of that's been done by God, and, and it's been done so that we'll praise God. The Bible says we've been created for His pleasure. And it all begins with these words, Thou art worthy. He's worthy. The final thought we'll see today is that He was willing. He was willing. As the Sabbath ended, we find that those who heard of Christ's great work, they arrived, and they're bringing sick and diseased and possessed people and People that are troubled in every way. And, and the Bible says that they brought them. And that word brought is an interesting word. It's an active word that literally means this. They kept on bringing them. It was like one of those words that means they just kept on doing it. And so people are bringing people with needs to Christ. And they keep bringing them and bringing them and bring them. That, that's the idea in this word. And, and again, the sun is, is going down or, or perhaps down at this point, And it's been a long day and Jesus was undoubtedly fatigued. But the scripture testifies that Jesus was indeed willing to meet the needs of those that came. The Bible says he healed many. The love and mercy of God to me is just incredible. He is willing. I remember sharing the gospel with a man who listened just so intently. I share the gospel with a lot of people that don't accept Jesus Christ. But quite often when someone does end up accepting Christ, you kind of get the sense early on when you're beginning to talk with them that they're open and receptive. And I remember I talked with this guy and I did the best job I know of sharing the gospel. And I shared with him that we're all sinners, we're all of sin, you know, come short of the glory of God. It's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. And I let him know the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I let him know that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I let him know that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as I shared the gospel message, he was nodding in agreement and he seemed to understand. And I'm thinking this guy's going to get saved and I couldn't get to the conclusion fast enough, but I wanted to be deliberate nonetheless. And when I finally came to the conclusion, I said, wouldn't you like to, to accept Jesus right now? And he said, no. And I was like, shocked. I'm like, what do you mean no? 
I'm thinking, I'm thinking, why would anybody say no to that? I've often wondered, why doesn't everybody just get saved when they hear the gospel? It's his free gift of eternal life. Hello, this is good news. But I understand it wouldn't have been faith for him if I coerced, and that certainly isn't my, my way. So I took a step back and I said, look, I, I respect your decision and, and the fact you said no. But I said, I've just got to ask you, why not? And I, that's not my habit either. Oftentimes, I'll just back off and leave it alone, but this guy was just right with me. No. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Why not? And that's when he began to talk, and I found so often I want to evaluate a good discussion about spiritual things based on how much I say, and it's usually the more listening I do, the better conversation it ends up being. And this guy just opened his heart. Marines aren't worse than anybody else, but this guy happened to be a Marine, and he had just returned from Iraq at that time and had seen and experienced some things, and there were some things in his past. And I just sat there, and I listened, and I listened, and I listened, and this guy just opened up and just unloaded. And he talked for the longest time. And when he was done, he made a comment, and I don't know that these are his exact words, but they might have been. And if they're not his exact words, they're close enough, the point's there. He said, I just don't think that Jesus would save someone like me. So it was kind of like he wanted to be saved, but he just didn't think. This applies to the good people, but not to... Friends, let me tell you, the Bible says that we're saved by grace. And that's one of those words we sing about it, oh, it's amazing. But I wonder sometimes if we really know what it means. Grace means it's... It's, it's something that goes to the undeserving. So if someone is so awesome that they deserve to be saved, they've been disqualified from salvation because you can only be saved by grace and that only goes to the undeserving. You see, God doesn't look at it and say bad, horrible, the worst. He just sees us all as people that have a magos problem. We're down and out. Because of sin. And we've been born that way. And in His grace, God looks at us and He doesn't see anyone as unsavable. He's willing. He's willing. He, he wants to see people come to Him. In fact, in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible tells us, The Lord's not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us word, hear this part, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's willing that people would come to know him. He's never too busy. He's never preoccupied. He's never distracted. He is always willing. Being a Bible teacher is a humbling thing. Um... I've read the Gospel of Mark many times. And there was a part of me that thought as we got in this study, verse by verse study, this should be a pretty easy study. It's one of the Gospels, you know. And, and it's a Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the Gospels. And it's a rapidly moving book. What I don't know is profound. It's astonishing. So many of the verses that we've gone through, many of them I've memorized and I've come to understand I don't understand. 
the great meaning, the depth of it all. And I found myself being just made so keenly aware of my inadequacy in terms of knowing the Bible and hoping to share the Bible and the Lord's been working on my heart. And I find myself just thinking about these texts of Scripture. And just, just dumb stuff, even like understanding Sabbath. Okay, that's when it went and the sun going down. And just trying to think through the day and just try to imagine what would they have been thinking at that time. And Jesus would have been hungry about then. And just, just thinking on it. Just thinking on the whole thing and trying to put myself in that position. And, and as I let these verses run through my mind, I had a thought. Did you notice that the Bible says that all the city was gathered together at the door? It said that in verse 33. Well, which door did all the city gather at? Well, that was, that was Peter's door. Well, why did they go to Peter's door? I, I mean, everyone in the city probably wouldn't have liked Peter. In fact, probably a bunch of them didn't. We know Peter was a guy that sometimes talked too loud too much and had a problem with his temper. I mean, they probably all didn't like Peter, but they're all at his door. Why did they all go to Peter's door? Because they knew Jesus was there. And when they had a need, they thought we can go to Peter's house because he didn't leave Jesus at church. He brought Jesus into his home so Jesus could be with his family. And, and there's someone in that home that we don't have in our home and we have a need. And I know where we can go. We can go to that place where Jesus is. You know my thought when I considered that? I wonder if my neighbors have ever entertained the thought, you know, we're having a tough time. Why don't we go to his house? They seem to have just something that, that we're lacking, that we're missing. I wonder, is your testimony such that people think in a time of need that they could receive through you the love of Christ? You see, our testimony should be that way. Word quickly spread that Jesus had touched some lives that day in a miraculous way, a life-changing way. I wondered this, is his word getting through us? How could word of Christ spread? Well, word of mouth. People just began to talk about it. It made me wonder, how good of a job am I doing letting other people know that Jesus Christ can change a life? He can heal. He's willing. Friends, I want you to know, as we, as we look at this snapshot in words, we see what Jesus means to us, but we also find how we're to live if we're to look like him too. We find as a church that we're the body of Christ. We find how Jesus wants us as his body in this area to respond to the needs that emerge around us. I don't think we can get too familiar with any part of the Bible, especially a passage that deals so in depth with Jesus Christ. 